Hello and welcome to the first episode of the As Yet Unnamed podcast. Um, I'm Gareth Hewish and uh, this podcast will be going through Devil's History as seen by two long stalwarts of the uh, Cardiff Devils in different guises. First guest tonight is uh, a legend of the Cardiff Devils ice hockey team, whether it be as a player, as a coach, or as any other job that the club entails, Mr. Neil Francis. Neil, thank you very much for joining us. I thought you were talking about John there. Uh, <laughs> just, just giving away the second guest. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, to, my, uh, to the side of me is Mr. John Donovan. John, you are one of the first Cardiff Devils season ticket holders. Yeah, yes. Yeah, there's a story my dad likes telling. He was the first ever season ticket holder. And uh, yeah, the club's been stuck with me for the last 30 odd years. <laughs> so between the two of you, there's nothing you haven't seen and there's no knuckle cranny that we can't get into. The difference is John remembers it all and <laughs> it all merges into one season for me. But. Oh, I was sober most of the time. Fair point. Yeah, water bottles. Yeah. So the theme of the podcast will be this. Each week we will go through a different topic uh, directly related to Neil Francis' career. So that can be a single season, that can maybe be a competition, a playoff run, maybe a particular player that we'll go in-depth on. Um, and each week we'll kind of go through it chronologically and we'll see if we can uh, unfurl some of those rumours that went around the rink uh, way back when and uh, maybe get a little insight into the big moments of Devil's history. And um, Today will be a particularly uh, big season in Cardiff Devil's history, uh, one full of joy and heartbreak and everything in between. Can I just say again, sorry to interrupt, Freddie's cheating, he's got elite prospects. So <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this from memory, so... Well, no, I've, everything I've done involves elite prospects, so I guess so I'll continue with that. Sorry. It's on CV. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's fair enough. Sorry. <laughs> but it will be the world record-breaking season 10-11, and hey, let's get right into it, shall we? Uh-huh. Um, Neil, let's start with you. The off-season, what did you and Jerry Adams want to change about the team from the previous year? Uh, I think the first place we started out was getting back to having that um, dominant first line. I think the year before was the second year of the forward, Mark Smith. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah, when it didn't work out so yes. well. So the first time round we had him and... Probably best player in the league. Yeah. I remember we went out, um, pushed the boat out to get him back for the second time round. We were really excited to get him, and you know I think it's fair to say his head was elsewhere, and you know we didn't see a, the same player as a patch of the player. So it was almost to, to get back and strengthen and strengthen that top line. And um, I remember one guy that I was really keen on for that role was Ed McGrain. That ended mm-hmm. up in Brayhead for a year. Yeah. Um, he'd been playing in the Central League. He was putting up ninety odd points uh, a year, and I was re- I, I thought that he could really come in and uh, you know and do that great job. I mean, he wanted a lot of money to come in, um, and at that time, I remember I was away with work, and uh, and G got a phone call, and it was through uh, Stevie Lyle connection um, to say, just take a look at this guy. Um, you know, this is the one that Stevie's bringing to the table now. You know, a connection of his from Morzine had put him our way. And, uh, you know, when you look up the resume of Scott Matzka and, and seen everything that he did in Denmark and, um, 
you know, just uh, I think that the previous year to us, he'd played in the Finnish second league with a few call-ups to the um, to the SM Liga, the elite league there. Um, and uh, you know, at the time, that was a, a huge deal. And uh, you know, to even be in with a, a sniff of getting that guy was exciting. And then obviously, you know, we got that job done. So, so but how do you sell it to a guy like Metzger? Just sorry to interrupt, Jeff, right? Because you know, we're not talking about the glossy arena that we've got now and, and, and laden with trophies and what have you. You're talking about a tent and a team that had punched above his weight but hadn't won anything of significance for some time. How, how did you and G go to Matzka and sell the Cardiff, the Cardiff project? Well, we didn't talk about the tent. Okay. That, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a rival, yeah. Um, no, I, I think, that, you know, to be honest, the, the reason we got Matzka was the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so... Uh, we had, I think, four spots on the NBA that year, and you know that was his focus. We know Matska is an extremely smart guy, and you know very um, level-headed, and he knew that uh, after hockey, um, you know, a, a career uh, was important to him. So he, um, you know, it was the NBA, and you know Stevie was the one um, liaising directly with uh, with Matska. To be fair, and uh, you know the town has always been a really good sell. Yeah. You know, you can Google Cardiff and you know see all the amazing things that we've got on our doorstep. So that you know that's a big thing, especially with uh, a guy with family. You know, an English-speaking country, all that kind of thing. So um, I'd say ultimately, though, the NBA was uh, what's what got Scott Matsky here. Yeah. He didn't turn out too bad. Oh, no, I think I think it all worked out uh, pretty well in the end. One player I want to touch on from the the previous season that we lost, which I think in my mind as a fan at the time. You would have really wanted to keep hold of. Where's Jarvis? Someone who was really big and kind of grew into that role over the couple of years he was there. Was there any talk about keeping him going into that season, or was it pretty much he made his mind up that he was? Oh, we definitely wanted to keep him. Um, we loved Jarvis. Um, I think early on he had quite a bit of criticism when he was sort of trying to find his role on the team, but when it clicked, he, he was really impressive. You know, he had that amazing size, big shot from the point, effective on the power play. Um, and a, you know a genuine all-round nice guy, um, you know. And when he did have his little mean streak, as uh, I think it was Andrew Sharp yes. or whoever found out, uh, that was impressive too. So I think, yeah, I think we'd have kept Wes Jarvis every day of the week, but I think he's already made that decision to to move on. In this off season, uh, another big talking point, and throughout the time we're going to look throughout this season, the the fate of Cardiff and Sheffield are mm-hmm. intertwined on and off the ice and. In the off-season, John, I'll come to you first on this. Um, there's a big mass walkout against the then under Bob Phillips. Michael Connor, Dave Sims, and Dave Matsos all leave the club. Um, it causes quite a stir, especially for Simsy to pack it in. Um, I was surprised with you at the time that all this sort of unfilled out of nowhere, seemingly. I, well, I think probably at that time in, in British ice hockey, you weren't surprised by anything in British ice hockey. Um, I think we've sort of in 2018 now where things seem reasonably stable, you forget how much was, was going on back then, even with a club like Sheffield, which was probably the you know the most storied franchise going. And uh, you know when Dave Sims walked out of the Sheffield Steelers, um, something must be bad there because uh, you know I'd, I'd probably leave my wife quicker than he'd leave the Sheffield Steelers. Um, but you know the, the, from from sort of adversity, positive things come. They 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 brought in um, Ben Simon and. Probably most importantly for, for, for me, they got Ben Simon the coach, and he was certainly a good coach, but they got 
Ben Simon, the player, um, who I thought was a quality player and really someone who galvanised that team and, and could be a role player and put the team on his back a little bit and, and, and lead by example, as we've seen so many people do in, in Cardiff. So it's always the lesson in that you don't write the Steelers off. And, and in that off-season, maybe people were starting to write them off and say the instability will cost them and uh, they still put a quality team on the ice. I'll just read the quote from... Simsy in the, the BBC piece at the time. I would call for the fans to stay calm and see where the events lead in the next week. But I hope they'll be able to see that none of us have walked out on the Sheffield Steelers. However, there is no way any of us continue to work in the present environment. Yeah. And so that's where we uh, find the Sheffield Steelers. Very uh, different situation than Cardiff. Cardiff. Cardiff was a pretty quiet off-season by uh, previous standards. Everything seemed pretty... Settled and the task at hand, we're all ready to go for the season. Yeah, I mean that that Sheffield um, story there, which you reminded me. Of, I, I forgot totally about that, but um, you know, it just does show you that you know there, there, there's come times in Cardiff as well where you know the most passionate of us have had to make moves that we didn't like to do, and you know, fair play to them for sticking by their guns for. Um, you know, to find a way to improve the club, and I think ultimately, you know, that did happen uh, later down the line because there was obviously things that, that that weren't right there that they needed to fix. Guess can I can I ask Franny about just just to cross over the two subjects, yeah, yeah. Cardiff team building and Sheffield. One of the guys I'm always interested in because I don't think he gets enough love, and whatever you think of him as a coach, Ryan Finity came back that year, and he came back as as captain, and I think all three of us around this table that was. I'm a huge fan of Ryan Finity, uh, particularly Ryan Finity, the, the the player, what he did, the big goals he'd score, um, how he would ruffle feathers and, and get involved in conflict if he needed to. What did he bring to the team that year? And I guess, bearing in mind he was following in the footsteps of Brad Voth, Brad was still a big part of the team, but, but what did Ryan bring as captain? Um, I, I think the best quality that Finna had, I mean, great hockey player, really good all-round player, um, the best quality that he brought and you know sometimes I feel myself crying out for a player like Ryan Finity is when the chips were down he would be the one to go outside of the box outside the comfort zone and make something happen um, you know it, it might be a, a little cheeky dirty play or something like that he'd done it for years against us you know when we were on top against Sheffield then he would do something off the play he would draw a reaction from us we'd get the penalty they'd score on the power play and um very crafty player who um, wasn't afraid to to step up. Well, you know, he on multiple times he stepped up when the team needed it. Um, I remember him one time we were up against Hull and uh, Joseph Sladock, who's you know six foot four, six foot five guy who does a bit of MMA fighting, mm-hmm. and you know we needed a spark and Finn was like, okay, I got this, and <laughs> you know and jumps up and uh, you know he's really tough actually, mm-hmm. Finn, and um, you know he. He knew how to get under people's skin and to get a reaction at the right time to get his team going. So let's get into it. It's a season remembered for a long winning streak, but it actually starts with a bit of a bump. And uh, challenge games aside, the first three league games are losses. There's a 5-1 loss on opening night uh, in the Sheffield Arena. There is then a 4-3 loss at home against the Belfast Giants. 
and that is followed the following week by a 5-4 loss in the MIC in Nottingham. And it's probably closely followed by a statement to say this is the worst kind of devil team I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I did another time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Here we go. Um, how difficult is it to knit so many new players in such a short space of time? Because back then, there wasn't the long training camps that you see these days. Uh, I imagine the players were coming in late August around yeah, this time I mean, and playing straight away sort of the next week. Right up until the you know the sort of new ownership we had, players coming in on the Saturday, Sunday of that bank holiday weekend, the August bank holiday weekend. Uh, Monday and Tuesday would be practices. Wednesday was probably a challenge game. Uh, you know, get back out there, two challenge games on the weekend, repeat for the week after, and they would go into Challenge Cup and League action. So you had next to zero time to, to get together and, and gel. Um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it is hard, but sometimes also it throws people into the deep end and, you know, you get some chemistry forming naturally and it's, you know, it's amazing when that happens. And, um, I mean, the one quite impressive thing, I think, about this team is the guys that were recruited as the, the first line, second line, third line stayed in those positions for yeah, the entire yeah. year, which is, yeah. um, I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty big. But I think it took. Um, I remember Matska coming in, and he'd been in Finland, used to playing four line hockey, and all of a sudden, here he was playing three line hockey plus every shift of power yeah. play plus every shift of penalty kill, and that guy plays intense as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that was an adjustment for him. Um, Pals, I remember seeing Pals in in challenge games, and I'm thinking, oh god, this guy is way too small for this league. <laughs> Sorry, Pals. Uh, and it, it goes back to in that in that summer when uh, G G brings the name, you know, he gets the name John Pally that, that the agent thinks is a, a rough diamond mm-hmm. and could do special things, and look him up, and yeah, he looked okay, you know, Central League, yeah, okay stats. Rapid City just won the the CHL Championship Memorial Cup. Over, no, it's whatever. It is. Yeah, uh, CHL Championship. Yeah, um, one of those. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it looked okay. And I, I was really keen on this other winger. Um, bit of a bigger guy. Um, had a probably better goal scoring record. Mm. Weirdly, because Pals was quite sort of um, stretched out between goals and assists in an even way. And this guy is a bit more, and I was dead keen on him. And then there was a couple of sort of last-minute requests from pals in terms of renegotiating his contract. And when we thought it agreed, and I was like, "Gee, let's just cut him cut off. Him Come on, <laughs> we got this. We got this yeah. other guy ready to go. Let's yeah. just cut this guy off. I think he's going to be trouble, you know." Yeah. Um, and you know, luckily, G said, "No, I've got a good feeling about him." And you know, that that couldn't have turned out to be yeah. uh, any better feeling, really, because pals. Uh, not only did he turn into the best goal scorer in the league, you know, G came in and challenged him and said, you're going to be my goal scorer, so forget what you've done before, you're my goal scorer. Um, But, you know, an absolute super nice guy to go with it and, you know, not like anything that I was maybe expecting. Um, And then, you know, the chemistry that yeah. he built up with Matt Skur and, and Max. I was going to say, past October, did you bother running power play drills? Or did you say, <laughs> John, go to, the, go to the back door? Yeah, and then, you know, when you, I mean, in uh, the great night that we had before the match go and uh, the guys were up on the stage, you know, telling stories and, 
you know, Mask is quick to point out that, you know, Pals, he just had to sort of stand there with a stick on the ice <laughs> and he'd, he'd get it on there. And, you know, we, we can't forget about Max Beerbrier as well. Oh. What an important part of that yeah. line he was as well. And it, it, it almost it was the perfect chemistry of yeah. a line. You've got Max as the big hitting winger, you know, great skills on him too. He can shoot, he can pass. Uh, Matt's got an absolute workhorse, both ends of the ice. You know, he is the the prototypical two-way centre. Yeah. And then you got Pals, just one of those guys with a natural gift that wherever he stands, the puck seems to end up on his stick. And, you know, at first you think it's a bit of a fluke, and then when it happens time after time after time, you realise that that's a gift. And, you know, what a, what a threesome we had there. Yeah. So after the first three losses... There's then an unbeaten run of six games. Uh, that's four wins and two draws. Challenge Cup games are where the draws come from. And then that is um, closely at the end of that run, that last draw, um, in that run of six, um, is a game in Hull where Justin Sawyer, who started the season in defence, he uh, sucker punches a member of the Hull Stingrays and he is suspended. Um, I'd just like to read a quote from Shannon Hope in the local press after the, uh, the charge was brought against Sawyer um, of the second punch. I'd have done the same. And so he would have. We completely support him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I can give you about six examples. <laughs> I mean, if you're in the dock... Yeah. And Shannon Hope was the one defending you saying, I'd have done the same. Yeah. I mean, you'd probably just plead guilty, wouldn't you? And you'd say, you know, that's enough of that. I'll take my suspension. <laughs> yeah. I'll pay the fine. Thank you very much, Elite League. I remember the incident. Um, and there was... Uh, Hull had driven to the net excessively, you know, right you know, on Stevie's toes. Um, one guy had gone in there and given him a bump, and I think Sawyer had given him a shove. And then the D-man is like a... Um, a Russian D-man or something comes flying in from the blue line and Sawyer turns round and pops him one and I remember not being that happy about the suspension at the time not from Sawyer's point of view but from the league point of view because you know this guy has come in physically looking for an altercation and he's found one yeah either Sawyer waits and he he takes one yeah. or he's proactive and he gives one and you know, felt though, okay, he gets, gets thrown out of the game on the night, okay, fine. It then gets reviewed and it gets upgraded yeah. to a match suspension. And we just thought it's a bit hard from somebody that's come into an altercation as a, a sort of instigator on the back of sort of bumping the goalie and stuff like that. You know, what are you going to expect yeah. when you're running in and you've got a six foot six D man in front of you? Almost you'd be mad if he didn't do anything. You know? is often forgotten about because of, uh, Gaz is going to go on to this, the guy that replaced him and obviously we'll talk <laughs> about that. But Sawyer, before he left, was doing a job for the Devils, I seem to remember. He was a, he was a good, powerful D man. He could play minutes. He was reasonably mobile. Yeah. You know, Justin Sawyer was, was someone who could have been a kind of devil going forward. I think he could have, yeah. And, um, you know, it was... Uh, he surprised us when we came in into, you know, he, he's obviously in North America being pigeonholed into the fighter role, which he could do very well. When you come over here, you've got to do more than that to, you know, to justify your spot. And he was a very, very solid player. He did what, you know, everyone wants you to do and clear the, the crease in front of the goalie. Um, he could make a good pass. He could contribute well. And, uh, you know, in one of his last games, I think he came flying out the penalty box in Coventry and, and tucks away yeah. a breakaway goal for his, 
is one and only Cardiff Devil Dawn. <laughs> um, but Thank yeah, you know, right, don't we, <laughs> we do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he would have been someone we definitely wouldn't have actively looked to change. Um, and then he had to go home. Um, unforeseen circumstances. He ended up going home, uh, and we were stuck without uh, a D man. And I remember we had an injury at the time, and I think um, going on to start that that run, we were playing five, maybe even four D, mm-hmm. and the second line D pairing was G and Alex Simmons, yeah. uh, and we played. I think before we ended up with. Uh, the very famous now Craig Weller in, the, yeah. in what we refer to as the Craig Weller year. <laughs> I think we'd already gone five or so games into our run with G and Simo yeah. playing uh, as you know second D pairing and soaking up a lot of minutes. So yeah. you know Simo, a young guy that was just doing everything right. You know, playing very solid, being so dependable out there. You know, G, the the well, wise. This is the thing about G, though, isn't it? Because again, everyone remembers him now as Cardiff Devils coach. G was an exceptional yeah. player as yeah. a, def- a defenseman who could play forwards, yeah. um, but guy who could clear the net again, take a fight, you know, score important goals. So forget about Jared Adams, the coach, for a second. Jared Adams was a very good player. But what's also I think lost in that is he only became head coach when he was twenty-eight. Yeah. yeah. So. The, the kind of prime defenseman years yeah. when he was coach as well so I think that plays into it and yeah, yeah. G- part, I, I always loved G as a player uh, as a coach. G as the player is definitely somebody that you wanted on your side um, <laughs> you knew that you know he would keep it very simple and you do all the basics right um, nasty streak to him to play against so he always had you know people with you know one eye over their shoulder um, you know would step up when he had to um, and, and I think that's a prime example of where G, you know, takes Simo under his wing there as the senior D-man, gives Simo the confidence and um, you know to play there. And Simo played a hell of a role in, in getting that run ro- uh, that run going. Uh, and even when we did get back up to strength, then playing as a, probably a fifth D-man, fifth or sixth D-man that year um, as a you know a, a young guy. Yeah. As a little sidebar around this time, um, just a little tidbit for this season. Uh, that game in Hull with the sucker punch, um, Matsko was actually picked up at um, I believe Doncaster Airport because he had played in the game oh, with the Belfast yeah. Select mm-hmm. against the Boston Bruins. Mm. Yep. Um, I believe he scored as well. He I did, yeah. He got yeah. a goal for the yeah. Elite League Select. Um, you as a coach at the time, Ronnie, any hesitation to release players for a game like that? No, never. I think that is a you know once in a lifetime opportunity to to suit up against one of the best teams in the world, and uh, you know you'd never want to deny a player that. In a similar way that um, you know Steve King talked about recently, that uh, last year we were approached about Tyson Strachan playing for Team Canada in the Spengler Cup, and. Um, we said absolutely if you want him, you know, even though that we're in a, a title run and he's so important to us, he's yours because we wouldn't deny a player that opportunity and and Steve actively pushed Joey Martin into mm-hmm. the equation as well and said, Look, you want to take a look at this guy, he uh yeah. you know, he, he could he can play at that level. So, you know, it's 
I mean, I think that's one thing that we've always tried to do. I mean, G is a very honourable man, mm-hmm. and I don't think uh, there was ever a question that we would stop Matska playing in in a game that uh, yeah. you know that that's so monumental. Um, but yeah, not ideal that he misses practice and we pick him up at the airport. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know who we'll organised that that Belfast Boston game, but he's got a future in hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He'll do okay. yeah we should He'll sign do him okay. up. Yeah. <laughs> Braver arrives. Ronnie, take us inside the kind of war room when you're looking for a replacement, especially mid-season. What's the ambition for a club like the Devils at the time? Because Weller was not far removed from the NHL. If you sign a player like that these days, I think less eyebrows are raised, given the standard around the league. But at the time, and for the time of year that he signed, this is a real big statement. Um... A lot of the noise at the time was that it maybe wouldn't be for the full year. Um, it was maybe just a, a shop window type deal. Talk us into it. How, when did you realise that you were able to get a player of the calibre of Weller and were you expected it to be a, a long-term signing with him? We've been looking for a player. I'm not sure. I think it was three weeks that we'd uh, lost Sawyer for um, you know, five or six games. And you know we had non-stop been looking for a player exhausting every avenue we could looking under every rock we could all our usual suspect agents nothing was coming back not even not even a guy to tide us over or a guy that we thought he'll be okay and let's see how he goes literally nothing um we were almost getting desperate because you know we felt that we well we definitely needed that you know we were down to bare bones at the back end there anyway um and i remember sending out an email to literally as many agents as I could find contact details for, um, just send them out there. Say, look, we need a, a D-man. We, you know, we're ready to go right now. Have you got anybody? You know, needs to be, you know, needs to be able to um, to make an impact for us. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if one of those games you got the fixtures there, but I'm sure we're up in Dundee. If it's yeah, twenty eighth of, of October, and we finish the game, and I go on the bus waiting for the guys to get changed and everything, and I look at my emails on my phone, and an agent that we've never dealt with before, <laughs> and we've never dealt with since, no matter how hard I've tried, um, said, "Yeah, I got Craig Weller." Um, so you know, looking him up on the lead prospects, and I. Seriously, is he yeah. got Craig Weller? You know, because a lot of the time you get sent names from agents, and you know it's pie in the sky, mm-hmm. and you know they don't really represent them, and um, it, you know it, it ends up in a bit of a wild goose chase. And you know, I look at the name, I look at the CV, and 95 games in the um, in the NHL, and countless others in the AHL, and I think four or five straight years. Um, in Hartford, mm-hmm. um, AHL, as well as captain, and I'm like, oh my god! And then you look at his, U- uh, his YouTube and drop your gloves, and you see the fights against uh, Toe Left Son, I think, yeah. where he he nails him once and then drops somebody else and drops somebody, and it was just like, oh my god, this is just yeah. the dream now. It's, it's obviously not going to come up, but you know, went straight back to the guy. Pretty much, yet we'll have him. How much? And you know, he wasn't looking for a lot of money. He was sitting. You know, we were like, what's the situation? And you know, he was sitting at home, uh, waiting for the deal to come along that never did in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Um, he was still playing. There was a, a bunch of guys in, in a similar situation that were playing. Uh, you know, a very competitive mm-hmm. sort of scrimmage hockey. Um, so he was 
relatively in game shape and the deal was done really quickly. Um, we had to make a slight adjustment on the housing because uh, we only had uh, Sawyer's um, shared apartment. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily one of the guys that had come over with a girlfriend had split up with her and was happy to move into his newfound best mate on the team. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it freed up. It, it just all worked like yeah. clockwork. It's just one of those things that I don't think you can replicate where everything just fell into place. Um, and I remember actually sending the contract and doing all the visa and everything, the work permit, at ladies' night on my phone mm. in the middle. Of, I might even have been comparing it that year. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, we're trying to keep this a big yeah. secret from everybody, and now I've got you know doing all these things <laughs> on my phone while going on stage and, yeah. and and doing the rest of it, and it was done really quickly. Um, we flew him over, and bang, straight he goes into the lineup against against Nottingham, I think it was, yeah. up in the NIC. Only good things happen at ladies' night. Then. <laughs> yeah, ladies' that. night. The curse of ladies' <laughs> night was the opposite that year. It actually, it was the uh, it was when our season got going, and uh, you know. It, it, it was a great group of guys that year and everybody had, you know, fun and it was, uh, you know, as we'll go on to the sort of stories, that team did like to have drinks together and, uh, you know, it was a very social team and, yeah, that was one of our sparks. I don't think we'll ever be able to do a ladies' night episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, after hours, yeah. Um, so funny you mentioned Dundee uh, and that game where you found my life is... Uh, the Devils lost that game 7-3, mm -hmm. um, and they do not lose for a long, long time after that. Um, the next week, there's a 7-4 win against the Hull Stingrays, and then the wins just keep on coming uh, all the way through November, December. Um, when did it become a thing? When did the, the streak become something that the guys actively spoke about um it i mean when you win a few games in a row there's always that you know momentum and that feel good factor and guys start being a a little more confident and you know you see it when you're on a losing streak and guys are snatching at chances and when you're on a winning streak everything seems to go naturally and the bounces go your way and everything um what we didn't realize at the time, and I think I spoke about this, or one of the guys did on the the Matchka um, Q and A before the night before, was that on our winning streak, um, a couple of the guys had decided to go to to one of the local pubs Friday night before the game. So that we, we you know really tense before mm -hmm. the game. Let's just have a loosener. Let's yeah. just have a beer here. And, you know, just chill out the night and see how the game goes. And then the game was our, our first win. So they're like, yeah, that worked all right. So then the next Friday came and they told another couple of guys. And they're like, hey, we went for a beer on Friday. No, you're not meant to. But <laughs> it worked. So you can't change a winning yeah. thing. And, you know, then it became like two beers. And then it was, you know, a group of four of them to a group of six. And it grew. And then and me and Gene knew nothing about <laughs> it whatsoever. Uh, and we found out probably you know, two or three years later, yeah. that was their thing, is that they had a Friday night get-together, they'd have a, a few beers, and then they'd get themselves home, nice and relaxed, and, you know, into into the game and, you know, the winning streak. And, I mean, one of the things from, from G and, and my point of view, one of the things that we always made a point of doing when we were on the streak is to not get complacent. And we always, before every game, reminded the team to think about how we got on this streak, what are the little things that we've been doing in the game, 
let's not get complacent about those little things because those little things add up. And you know, as as we know now with you know Andrew Lord's team mm-hmm. and the details that he goes through, it's all those those minute details, those one percent things that you know that, that add up and make the big difference. And you know, we always made a point of of refreshing the guys, never to get complacent. Um, you know, and to keep doing those those little things that got us there. I know uh, Gaz is going to talk about one particular game that stands out, but there, there must be some moments in that streak. So there, a couple for me, you mentioned the whole game, when I think we won 10-1, 12-1, or something with Sam Smith. Yeah, 12-0. 12-0, it was, yeah. Nail, it was, a, it was live, on live on Sky TV game. And yeah. I, I do, that, that one does stand, stand out. Like I say, most of the games overseas, and, yeah. you know, without being reminded of them, just all sort of merge into one. But I remember that game that it was... I mean, the whole weren't the strongest team in the league, we know that, but they weren't that bad, mm. but it was just one of those nights where we were phenomenal, and um, one of the things I meant to mention about, you know, the strength of this world record team was that on any given night, it could have been either line one, two, or three that was your, um, that was your game winner, and, you know, on that night, it happened to be that third line, so... Well, I was going to ask you about that, because the, the other game that stands out to me is, is Coventry in the Big Blue Tent which was an overtime winning goal when Ryan Finnerty kind of put the team on his back. I remember there was a breakaway going down against Stevie Lyle, and I almost looked across to the, you at the bench, because I think I was in block 14 at the time, and you were ducking down because you thought that was the moment the streak was going to end. I think Stevie Lyle saves it, and then a few minutes later, Ryan Finnerty scored an overtime winner. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an example of, you know, Finner, like you say, putting the team on his back and, and stepping up. And I mean, you think of those three lines that we had, and we said earlier that they were settled from day one mm. to the end of the year, we had Pals, Matsker, and Max. You know what a line. Then we had Vatha, Finner, and Phil Hill. Mm-hmm. You know all complementing each other. Yeah. You know, um, and then the third line. Then we had Stu McRae, Tyler Michelle, who you know we brought back. We'd had him. The, you know, it was a revelation the year before. You know, you got him on your third line, and what a spark plug he is. You know, everybody still remembers Tyler Michelle. Um, another player that would go out and make something happen, get the crowd on their feet. And then on that left wing, you had Sam Smith, who had just come back from yeah. the US, and Ben Davis, who was a you know a young upcoming player. And we had them vying for that that yeah. left winger spot. And it really was down to, you know, I think we we started most games that season in rotating them. So mm-hmm. Sam would play a shift, you go through the rotation, then it would be Ben. So they're playing every other shift yeah. on that line. And then every now and then, one of them would get hot and uh, and they would stick for a few more games. And Sam got himself into a streak and, you know, he developed this chemistry with Tyler and Stu. Um, and, you know, that was probably his finest moment there. Yeah. TV game, hat-trick, you know, beaming smiles. You know, he, he you know what a, what a game he had there. I uh, remember when we signed Stu McRae and he kind of get excited, he get back into his history and... Uh, I found a North American hockey forum for the team he had played for the previous year. There was a guy out there who said, thank goodness for that. I've never seen such a selfish hockey player <laughs> oh. in all my time. And then I think by November he was top of the assists. Yeah. Chart and yeah. Michelle and yeah. Sam Smith and rocketed in gold. And I just thought, Wow. The, the, <laughs> the last time I do that. Yeah, I, I read the same article as well. I was like, oh, I hope it's just a bit of fan here. Um, the interesting thing about Stu McRae is I think he took a record 20 games to get off the mark in terms of his oh, first goal. Yeah. Uh, 20 games in. And I do remember Finna putting me aside when we were on that mini losing streak early on in the season and saying, 
I don't think this guy's got it. I think we can do better, you know. And I was like, no, he's going to come good. You know, he, you look at his pedigree, he was... Uh, and it's funny how Stu McRae links back to so many other players yeah. that we've had in terms of, sort of Cape Breton, mm-hmm. uh, St. Francis Xavier University. Yeah. So you look at, you know, Chris Culligan was yeah. almost identical. Joey Haddad played on some of the same yeah. junior teams. You've now got Stephen Dixon mm-hmm. uh, who played on, you know, some of the teams over in... Uh, Cape Breton and um, you know and they all know each other because everybody from from that area does um, but yes yeah, Stu McRae you could see that he was a good player you know he wasn't yet seen a great player and then you know the longer he goes on and doesn't score you're thinking oh perhaps it's just not happening for him but there was always something that you felt confident with him there you know he was he was very assured and then yeah when he got going I mean you look at the stats of that year I'm going to say he had, I mean, I probably have got it here if I search my phone, over 60-odd points mm. uh, on a third line. Back then, you know, the third line is your, your last line. It was very much the top two lines and then your third line. And, you know, that, just looking down here now, Stu McRae, I, well, I undersold him, didn't I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 54 games, 78 points, including 52 assists from your third line. is just ridiculous. Tyler Michelle, 49 games, 62 points. And then Sam Smith, between between him and Ben Davis, Sam 34 points and Ben Davis 11 points. You know, what a return that is from the third line that's meant to be your a, a sort of holding line back then. Um, and that just showed the depth we had that, you know, if teams wanted to concentrate on the Matska line or if they would try and handle the Finity Varfen Hill line, uh, that's fine because then out steps Stu McRae, Tyler Michelle and Sam Smith, Ben Davis and, uh, and game over. Absolutely. We're going to touch on one more player before I throw it to John. A couple of games that I know you have some uh, big opinions on. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Boff, um, this year it was noticeable that his penalty minutes dropped significantly from, from 400 <laughs> to 200. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, I think it was something like 342 the previous year to 194. Um, he also didn't have the captaincy this year um, after an incident the year before, which I'm sure we'll cover in the future. But Bradworth here um, really kind of getting his tools working as a player rather than someone who uh, got himself in more than just a bit of bother here and there. Um, is that because he, the frustration wasn't there because we were winning games? Is that because the... We had such a we had a better team around him. What what is the secret behind Boss kind of good behaviour? I would say I would say the the success goes hand in hand with that because I mean still to this day we get people crying out for Brad a Brad Voss type player that when things don't go our way steams in smashes somebody to bits. Um, you know it's. Uh, Brad, to be fair, for every battle he could for the club and, you know, he was always there to stick up for a teammate. You know, obviously sometimes that didn't go so well because of suspensions. You know, no doubt he was targeted within the league. I think a lot of people were scared of him um, and, you know, every other team was happy when he was suspended. Um, when you're winning 21, 22 games in a row, you don't, you know, you're enjoying so much success and we were dominating teams that... You know, you don't have those incidents that uh, that need him to step up. So, you know, he could get out to do something else he did really effectively, and that was as a player. 
you know, Brad Voth, the player, is a, is a hell of a player. You know, for the size of him, he could skate, you know, superbly. Um, he had a great hockey smart on him, great in front of the net, you know, quick wrist shot. Um, you know, I think when you look back at Brad's record, the best hockey he always played was in the playoffs. I mean, he, oh. I remember a goal he scored in Manchester yeah. from right on the, you know, on the right wing. And he scored a winning goal. He did it, yeah. to get us through to, yeah. that was in the, uh, the qualifier to yeah. get us through to the final four weekend. You know, he was a hell of a playoff player, but, um, you know, when he wasn't having to do the police work that he had to do a lot of the time, um, because I mean, we I think back then it's fair to say that we did get the rough end of the stick on a lot of calls, um, and the only answer that we had a lot of the time was for for Votha to to take justice <laughs> into his own hands. And um, but you know, when you win in so many games, that you haven't got the need to do that. So you know, he wasn't a stupid player by any means. You know, and he uh, he wasn't going to upset something that we had going so well. So. You know, kept his his uh, head down and, and was playing good hockey. Not just this season, and, and but but in general, because we hear a lot of talk about Andrew Lord and, and players that have come and gone. Did G have to police Brad Voth, or did he allow Brad Voth to make his own decisions? What was that relationship between coach and, and Brad Voth in terms of decision making during a game? Yeah, I think uh, G just let him play. Voth knew when he wanted to do it and, and when not to. Um, that G and I never once told anybody ever to go out and fight because we expected the players to go out and make that choice for the team and there's one exception to that and maybe it's one that we'll go into another game and that's when we went into Belfast and they had McMorrow parading around calling Vothra out in the paper and we were like it's such a distraction let's just get it out of the way and it, it didn't go so well so yeah we'll definitely cover that <laughs> in, in many yeah, different forms in the future 